Hey there, Denny, how's it going? Hey, Josh. It's fine, or whatever. Oh my goodness, is something wrong? There's been no hotties on the beach lately. Oh, I guess that's true. The, the weather has been particularly grody lately. Yeah, and I guess some girl got eaten by a shark or something. Welcome to Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. Two gay guys watching Baywatch, one episode at a time, more or less at random. I'm Josh. I'm Denny. And today we're in the closet again, because this is what where we are. This is where we live. For now. For now. And luckily, it's cold outside, so it's a little more comfortable in here uh, to talk about today's episode. The Big Race, Baywatch, Season 1, Episode 20, which aired March 16th, 1990, one day before my ninth birthday. I was still four at this time. <laughs> so yes, I'm assuming you don't remember much, but that's why I'm here to put you in context what was happening at the time. And people talk about the golden age of television more recently, like when Sopranos was on and then Game of Thrones when people liked it, all that sort of shit. No, no 1990 <laughs> was the true golden age. There was an amazing television lineup. And the reason that I particularly say that with this episode of Baywatch is because since we're in season one, we're still airing on network TV. So Baywatch in its first season aired on NBC Friday nights at 8 p.m. And because it was on normal TV, I got to look up the ratings and it got trounced uh, in its time slot. It was up against a rerun of Full House, <laughs> which was followed by a new episode of Family Matters, both of which trounced Baywatch heartily. Baywatch actually ranked as the 55th most watched show of the week on the lower side of the middle range of the of the charts. It wasn't doing terribly. TV Guide always has this little listing of what the worst shows were, and I don't recognize any of those for this particular week, but Baywatch was somewhere in the middle. Well, didn't Baywatch not get picked up for a second season at first? Right, at least what they've said is that it was an expensive show versus the amount of ratings it was getting, and it was probably also what happens a lot nowadays, which is the demographic type thing, that the sort of people that they wanted to be watching the show to appeal to the advertisers that they were trying to get money from, it, it wasn't there. So yeah, then it got shuffled over to syndication. We'll got an injection of some German money and a lot more of the fun stuff that we like because as we'll find out in this episode, this is not our flavor of Baywatch, I don't think. Not at all. No, but who cares? There were other things on TV to watch. This week in 1990, the top ratings actually went to Cheers. Love Cheers. You're a huge fan of Cheers. I it's, am. It's one of those cultural blind spots I sort of have. I know the characters, but I don't, I didn't really watch it, so. I'm Team Diane. Really? Yes. She's such a bitch, but uh, like in a nice way that like, I love it. Uh, the, what I remember the most are Rebecca episodes, just because they're later, it's easier to remember. You obviously watched it in reruns and repeatedly, yes. so like, whatever, but I do love Shelley Long. I do. I, I, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's one of those gay guy things too, that Shelley Long <laughs> is one of our patron saints. We'll have to watch that and review that. You can share that with me. The second highest ratings went to America's Funniest Home Videos. Love that show growing up. Yeah. Uh, me and my family were probably watching that. And then Roseanne rounded out the top three. I didn't start getting into Roseanne until like my teens with uh, reruns. Well, you weren't watching it, but obviously a lot of people were because this week Roseanne was even a rerun and it was still number three. Wow. Yeah, it was a juggernaut. Other shows that had new episodes this week. I'm just going to give a big laundry list and squeal if you remember any of you. You probably won't, but these all I loved mostly garbage though uh major dad no my two dads no 21 jump street yes the hogan family no alien nation nope who's the boss uh, i knew of it the wonder years yes coach 
Yes. Growing Pains. No. Head of the Class. No. Doogie Howser. Yes. Night Court. Yes. Jake and the Fat Man. No. China Beach. No. Quantum Leap. Nope. The Qua- <laughs> The Cosby Show. No. A Different World. Yeah. Uh, not till later. L.A. Law. Nope. Alf. Yes. The Golden Girls. No. My grandma used to watch it. I thought it was the stupidest show until I became an adult. All right. Well, The Simpsons. Yes. I was watching television nonstop back then. I mean, I was nine years old. I should have probably been outside or doing something, but all of that made me very happy. Now, also on the night that Baywatch aired, which I, what I was watching instead of Baywatch, uh, there was a rerun of Perfect Strangers over on NBC following Full House and Family Matters. The TGIF lineup is there. Hi, and welcome to TGIF. Thank goodness it's funny. And that was followed by a new Just the Ten of Us. Well, I'm sure my sister was watching uh, Perfect Strangers, and I was probably just in the room in my own little world. Putting together the taste of your sister, she's probably watching Just the Ten of Us also. Uh, it was a very great show. I'm showing you bits, we'll watch more. And over on CBS, though, at 10 o'clock, there was a new episode of Falcon Crest. Nope. No, you, would, you were four years old. You were definitely not watching Falcon Crest, which was a nighttime soap opera, sort of like Dynasty in Dallas, but it was about, and I really don't remember anything other than the theme song. It was an incredible theme song, and I'm pretty sure they owned a vineyard. Okay. So that was that plot overall. So on the Billboard charts, the number one song was Escapade from Janet Jackson. Okay. And I can listen to that anytime. One of my favorite Janet Jackson songs, but a little further down the charts, we would find Taylor Dane with Love Will Lead You Back. Oh, I thought it was Tell It To My Heart. Oh, come on, it's Taylor Dane. I know, but that's like my jam. Yeah, well, Love Will Lead You Back is another good one. It's it's way more ballady. Yes, it is. But it's mom approved and, <laughs> you know, anybody will enjoy it. Now, outside of pop culture and more just in what was happening in the greater culture in 1990, gay related. And again, this episode aired a day before St. Patrick's Day. So let's talk about something St. Patrick's Day related. In 1990, the St. Patrick's Day Parade was a really big deal in New York City, in Boston, in those sort of really urban areas. They have a lot of Irish roots and things. Is this about like gay float that was allowed to be in it? Not allowed, actually. Oh. So in 1990, New York's Irish Gay and Lesbian Organization, IGLOW, is what they're abbreviated as, they petitioned the city to participate in the parade, which makes sense, right? It's a big deal. There's a lot of people, and this is... In fact, this was the Irish gay and lesbian. They, that's part of their identity. They wanted to participate. Well, at the time, and I believe it's still the case, New York's parade, at least, was organized by a group called the Ancient Order of Hibernians, which already, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a red flag uh, for, for some of us. They've been around since 1836, and not to paint a brush by any means, but to be a member of this group, you must be male, you must be Catholic, and you either have to be born in Ireland or have provable Irish descent, which, you know, these old fashioned things have these things with long traditions. And it's not a big surprise, though, considering that they might look down on a gay group participating in their activity, especially in 1990. So they were not allowed to join the parade that year officially. In 1991, the following year, the then mayor of New York, David Dinkins, he was actually able to negotiate with the parade organizers and got them to allow iGlow to march, which is great, right? And in fact, the mayor actually marched with the group, except it didn't go so great because all along the parade route, they got booze and they got uh, beer thrown at them. Oh. 
Yeah, it wasn't great. And and to make the optics even worse is that Mayor Dinkins, who's, who's since passed, he's a black man. So you have a large group of drunk white people from the side screaming and throwing beer at a whole bunch of gay people with their black mayor. Oh, so God. in 1992, the organizers actually banned iGlo from participating whatsoever. And that led to Mayor Dinkins just actively boycotting. He's like, fine, screw it. I'm not going to participate in this. And it was the first time since 1923 that a mayor of New York didn't attend the parade. And Similar problems were happening in Boston at the time where gay groups wanted to participate. No, you're not allowed. And this led to fights basically up till today. There's still people bitching and moaning about it. And in 1995, there was a court case that went all the way to the Supreme Court that the outcome basically stated that a private organization can exclude whomever they want if they don't agree with their message, which in this case basically stated that they were allowed to exclude gay people. And, you know, Times change, and eventually by 2015, gay groups were allowed in both parades. But it's not I that mean, long ago. No, but in the intervening years, you know, if you don't want us there, we'll make our own thing. And so other parades popped up in different parts of these big cities, and in particular in 2000, one called St. Pat's for All started in New York City, and that marches on Fifth Avenue. Their whole message is inclusion for all. And so, hey, if you want a parade, you can find yourself a parade. So little bit of good news at the end. On to our episode, though, and our Baywatch Basics. So, starring in this episode, and really our main star today, is Erica Alaniac playing Shawnee McLean. Our resident Miss Eyebrows, because it's season one. Yes, it's, it's, it's basically a year before the episode that we just talked about uh, on our last episode. And yes, the unibrow has returned. <laughs> uh, this is before syndication and apparently before they found hot wax. I'm not sure <laughs> what's going on. She's still beautiful. And this is definitely her episode. Yes. Uh, next up is Eddie Kramer, who is played by Billy Warlock. Ugh, fake name. You're absolutely right, Denny. I was. I have to apologize to you. Uh, his, Billy Warlock's name is actually William Alan Lemming. That lying bitch. Well, you know, people have all <laughs> sorts of fun names. Lady Gaga certainly is not born that, uh, Fair with enough. that name. And apparently his first showbiz job was as a stunt double uh, for Robin Williams on an episode of Mark and Mindy. Okay. Yeah. That seems like a big age difference. Well, as a stunt double, so you don't necessarily see their face. So, And there's honestly not that big of an age gap between those two. There isn't? No. How? Because Billy seems like he's like almost 17 in this episode. Eddie, whatever. Robin Williams was born in 1951. Billy Warlock was born in 1961. So, so it's just a 10-year age, age difference. All right. I just feel like that's a big difference. Again, you can uh, camera trickery. And again, he's a stunt double. So who knows? You probably only saw the back of him getting thrown into a table or something. You, you're not very familiar with Mark and Mindy. No, uh, but all. there were a lot of stunts. And I'm actually kind of surprised when I read that, that Robin Williams wasn't just doing his own. Because it, it wasn't like a stunt show. But he was an alien from outer space with superpowers <laughs> that would occasionally do goofy stuff. Anyway. Kudos to you, Denny. You're still taking the name. You're still officially Denny Warlock. But anyway, next up is John D. Court. Played Hunk Golden. By... Hunk. My name is Hunk Golden. Yes, played by John Allen Nelson. Yes, Hunk Golden. My favorite childhood movie uh, to sneak away and watch and not understand why it made me feel the way it was making me feel, let alone the feelings it, that were recurring. It was that Speedo. 
It was many things, <laughs> many things. Uh, Garner Ellerby is here, our favorite beach cop, played by Gregory Allen Williams. He gets a very brief little spot, but he's vital. He's in kind of two pivotal scenes, I think. It, yeah, absolutely, but he also disappears in both <laughs> of those. Next, of course, we have Mitch Buchanan, played by David Hasselhoff, and we have Craig Pomeroy. Lawyer lifeguard. Our favorite, played by Parker Stevenson. We have Hobie One this time, Brandon Call. He's Hobie got a, One Kenobi. Yes, he's got a little part here. We've got Blanche's brother. Clayton. Clayton is a hobo? Clayton as Captain... Captain Don. Yes, Captain Don Thorpe, played by Monty Markham, who actually I liked a lot in this episode. He wasn't such a dick. No, he was very dry. <laughs> I mean, his skin was very dry. Uh, we've got Michael Numi Newman. Barely. Barely, but thankfully... <laughs> Toned, bronzed as always. And in a bit of archival footage, we have Jill Riley, who is played by Sean Weatherly. And we will talk more about that as it comes up. And we have a guest star who we will talk about when he arrives, hmm. who will maybe be relevant to you. But for now, we're going to start talking about our episode, Baywatch Season 1, Episode 20, The Big Race. We start the day as Eddie is greeting a distracted Shawnee. She's reaching her tower for the start of a new shift, and she's late. An hour late. They're starting to make a habit out of this. Because apparently she's been off visiting Jill's parents' house. She brought them lunch. Which is very nice, yeah. uh, bringing your coworkers' parents' lunch, which is strange. But we'll figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, their flirty talk doesn't go on for very long. They're interrupted by something we haven't heard in far too long. <laughs> Actual cries of rescue. People needing help on Baywatch. We haven't seen rescue in a long time. And this time, it's a tween in a wetsuit. Probably stuck in one of those riptides that is always out there. And really, the beach looks disgusting. And the weather's so cloudy. It looks, it's probably filmed probably in like January. So it's probably freezing. Oh, it looks terrible. I mean, the, the sky is gray. The waters are rough. And there is seaweed floating everywhere piles on the beach yeah as floridians we know this is not the time to go and hang out <laughs> next to the water they both run out eddie and shawnee and eddie jumps in right away but uh it looks like shawnee uh is held back by a leg cramp ow what's the matter i have got a really bad cramp i've been having really bad cramps all week it's probably menstrual charlie horse out of nowhere and it's a little questionable it's surprising it's like these are healthy in shape people and it's also a drama show we so we know that any sort of injury is going to be a big deal but the upside is that eddie eddie's able to handle the rescue person's perfectly fine they really just need to be pulled out of the water and eddie is quick to suggest well, look let's get you back to the tower and stretch it out all right a nice stretch session which is you know yes please yeah like i didn't know that was part of the baywatch curriculum no wonder they can get so many people working for them. I'll <laughs> sign up for Eddie's stretches. Anyway, from here on, we move to a yacht at the boatyards. And some time has obviously passed because Eddie is here now in a sort of waiter's uh, tuxedo. Tux yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Court is there also. And they're squabbling in the kitchen of this boat. Yacht, I should say. 
It was more like the bar. I thought he was like hired Eddie to be like some sort of like bartender for like a yacht party. Yeah, I would say it's the galley probably in a bar kitchen area of this yacht. And so we don't really know much about Court at this point in the series. Well, for us, we've we, only really seen him, I think, once or twice Yeah, we know before. he's a lifeguard and he owns a store. Yeah, he owns like a it. dive shop. Yeah. Right. That he's, and he's, lo- he's loose. He's like one of the more easygoing types. I mean, really, you can tell by his luxurious hair. It's not quite a mullet. But it is on its way. To being I mean, it was like early 90s. It wasn't great. Uh, <laughs> it's not his best look, let's just say that. But he is a very handsome man. And he is, yes, running some sort of game here. We know, like you said, that he is a lifeguard and he owns the shop. But we've never seen him to have any sort of money. Certainly not enough to be owning a yacht. And to being able to hire his friends as help. So he goes out onto, I guess, the... It's not a bridge or a balcony. It's the outside of the yacht. Deck. Deck. That's what I'm looking for. That's the word. Thank you. We're going to have to really drill on our boat vocabulary. I know. Porch is left and starboard is right. Very good. That's better than me. (laughs) I hope I'm right. Anyways, he goes out on the deck and we are greeted by a woman. Yes, a very brittle looking woman. Uh, (laughs) A young woman, but we don't learn who this is until far later. Young woman with an old haircut. And a hideous dress. <laughs> she's styled. She's styled in a fashion where we're meant to take her seriously. Like, at least from what I'm reading is that this is a serious woman that cares about serious things. And Court approaches her. They know each other. They have some sort of long, long relationship. They aren't necessarily together, though there's some sort of warmth between them. I got that they had like more of a flirty relationship. Or... Maybe something that was physical but never went further or maybe yeah. almost did. Yeah, there, yeah, there's some, like I said, there's a connection between the two of them that will be elucidated on later on. All we find out now is that Court has obligated himself to donating a huge sum of money to a retirement home. I guess he usually donates 5000 to this home, Apparently. but now she needs 10000 Yeah. So what do you need? $10,000. <coughs> Excuse me. I realize that's more than your usual contribution, but you know, we have 27 patients with nowhere to go if we shut down, unless you have room in your mansion. Apparently, every single year he gives this woman, who we still don't know, $5,000 for a retirement home? That's really all we know. It was a home. That's all I got from it. I heard retirement. Oh, you heard retirement? Yeah, at this point. So it's like, okay, what the hell sort of scam are they running where he is donating? What is going on here? The only thing that really is revealed is that the yacht actually belongs to somebody else. You should get out of here before the owners return, huh? What I found interesting about this scene is the fact that Eddie is going along with this. I didn't volunteer for this job. You drafted me, remember? Because all the interactions we've had with Eddie so far, he seems so straight-laced that I can't imagine him doing something underhanded. I guess what I see Eddie as is less rule-following and more uptight, you know? Like, that he doesn't necessarily need to follow every rule in the book, but if you don't do what he expects to be done, there's going to be a problem, (laughs) you know? Which I can appreciate (laughs) for a number of reasons. But anyway, now we're going to go over to Baywatch headquarters where Garner, lawyer, lifeguard Craig and Mitch are all eating their lunch, gossiping up, clucking like hens. They really are. They're having a good old time. And we see Court now in a new outfit. More time has passed. He's dressed sort of like an urban cowboy <laughs> in this scene. He looks really good. So to paint the picture, we have our three guys, 
Garner, Craig, and Mitch hanging out at a table. Between them, in the distance, we see full-body shot of Court standing at a shared phone in the Baywatch headquarters lunchroom, I guess. Very busy day. This place is packed. I guess the beach is empty. Guys, could you all hold it down, please? I'm trying to make a phone call here. So everyone's I, inside. I, I feel like it must be like January where no one's at the beach. Yeah, so I guess they're just there in case something happens. And I do have to question of the budgets of this because they're able to staff this many people that have nothing to do. Anyway, Urban Cowboy Court that we said he's wearing what you wouldn't call stylish jeans now, but they fit very nicely. And the way that he's positioned gives you a very nice shot. He's wearing some sort of, uh, I think he's wearing like a jacket with the sleeves pushed up and a ratty cowboy hat like slammed on his greasy <laughs> hair. Uh, it's a very uh, dirtbag look, but he pulls it off. We can't tell though what he's talking about, but it's very heated it's it's he's clearly distressed and the guys at the table also start to notice look if i sell the shop how much is left over three thousand dollars that's only a start yeah no it's okay thanks well he does uh, also allude to how much equity he has so obviously there's something going on with his money yeah and the whole table hears Garner doesn't pay any attention. I'm guessing that he's used to this court being a little bit of a uh, scam artist or at least trying to run some games. Shoot, man, you couldn't pay me enough. Meanwhile, though, Mitch and Craig, (laughs) those two queens, they're plugged right in. They're listening to every word. They hear money. They hear stress. How can we get involved? Mm. So... I want to jump in, or jump in right here because I don't know much about Court at this time. I don't know his backstory. So, like, what I was expecting from these two scenes is not at all what ended up happening. I created a much more interesting backstory. Let's get to that at the end. I yeah. want to hear that as we rewrite this to make it a little little better. I Because I actually have a few very minor notes that could make this yeah. so much saucier. For now, Shawnee is by herself at the beach and she's on duty and a seemingly innocuous task sends her into complete visions of terror. We get shots of Jill. These are This is the archival footage, obviously from some time before. She's struggling in the water. We don't know why, but then we see a shot of a shark approaching, but that's all we get. It's just too much. Shawnee can't even walk into the water past her knees at this point while she's having these visions at least like she's being triggered clearly there was a little girl that asked her to go get her ball that i guess went into the surf yeah but hey this little girl not so little let's be real she's at least 10 or 11 years old this isn't some like moppet that has shown up (laughs) oh help me i need help this is a kid she could have gone and gotten that damn ball on her own that water looked really fucking cold. I wouldn't want to go into it either. She was also fully <laughs> dressed. But hell, Shawnee's on the right, you know? Like, kid, get your own ball. Now, in this <laughs> well, case... Well, her excuse for the little girl was... Where's my ball? The current's taking it away. But it's right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> and admittedly, it was maybe 100 feet. It was very close. In fact, you probably could have waited five minutes and it would just float back to shore. <laughs> but... It doesn't matter. We are now seeing what is going on in this episode, that Shawnee has recently been through some pretty terrible trauma and is poorly processing it, as we see. We're going to find out more of what that is as what we go, so we won't quite spoil at this point. Because meanwhile, Court knows that he's had a poor showing so far, and he decides to step it up. He's wearing denim overalls. And nothing else. <laughs> it's fantastic. The the mullety hair, it's still, eh, it is what it is. But I did watch the scene a couple times just to make sure that, uh, you know, I caught what was happening because my childhood brain was popping like, oh, 
tiny bit of chest, that's enough. And what he's doing, I guess, is painting a beam in his dive shop. Yeah, exactly. And it's a pretty shitty dive shop. It looks like something from a cartoon. It's like a storage unit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I think it's a storage unit that he put together a sign for and is somehow <laughs> making some kind of money. But he's there working and Mitch and Craig come knocking. And they don't just show up with positive vibes. They have money. They have a check in hand for $3,000. It turns out that they had overheard his call earlier, like we saw, and they decided between the two of them that they want to contribute to whatever. What is this? Take it. You need it. That's all we need to know. We hope it helps. They have a hero complex. Do they have a hero complex? Or is this a couple that's been together for <laughs> a few years and now they're looking for something to spice things up? <laughs> They have a friend. They have some extra money. This friend is in need. He happens to be handsome. You know, things happen. Friends are friends. Mm. But that's my read of the situation. And I'm going to and I see it throughout the rest of the episode. It is really hard. And as we've seen before, Mitch and Craig have a very close relationship. And the goofy nature of Mitch, like his whole character is constantly ribbing and joking. I don't see them as anything other than a couple that's been together <laughs> for years that rib each other that you know mitch is the person that really busts the balls all the time but they know what buttons to push on each other and they know what each other like and we're going to see more of that as we go on this episode alone oh come on now you always take sausage and mushrooms on your pizza you always leave the dodger game after one out of the eighth you get your hair cut every three weeks well anyways as we know three thousand dollars is not gonna be enough for the donation he needs to uh, give to Gwen, I believe her name was. Yes, we'll find out. Find out her name is Gwen. Mystery Gwen. But it's fortuitous because in walks a kid asking to put up a poster for the big race. Yes. We, we see a poster. It's standard definition. You can't make out what it says other than it's some sort of race. And a race with a very large purse, if you were to happen to win. $15,000. That just so happens to be more than enough money than he would need. He would be able to make the $10,000 donation, pay back Mitch and Craig, and have $2,000 left over for himself. And that windfall gives us, well, that promise of a windfall, at least potential of a windfall, leads to a guitar wailing, which means it's time for montage. It's a montage of Court walking around a marina. Probably one of the lamer montages that we've seen. It's not very long either. It's very short. It's, it's a brief one because uh, we do have a few montages through this episode. Court is, like I said, going through the marina, looking at various boats, looking at various water skiers because we're going to find out that this race has to do with water skiing. And that's really all this montage is showing us, I guess, to get us excited about water skiing. It's going to be the big climax at the end. Wow. You gotta get us primed in some way. <laughs> Back at Baywatch HQ, we find ourselves in Mitch's office, and things have happened. There have been developments. Mitch and Craig, they had their positive attitude from before, it has flipped. They are pissed because Court's taken their money and bought a speedboat. A speedboat? You took our money and you bought a speedboat? Not just any speedboat. I mean, this sucker's got a customized engine like you've never seen. Why would he do this? Because the race requires you to ski. So he needs a boat to be pulled behind. Oh, this is a very poorly thought out plan. Now, they're pissing the scene, but as we find out later, it doesn't last long. Oh, they get over it immediately. I, I would, I probably would have called the cops. <laughs> I would have been fucking livid if I gave someone money for ostensibly, they're, they're in a bind, and you bought a boat. Now, 
Hobie Wan does think the boat's pretty cool because he's hanging out here. And it, it is a really cool looking boat. It's orange and blue. Go Gators. It was a good looking boat. Ooh, cool boat, but it's really fast. Nice little speedboat. Uh, and there's actually an issue because he can't return it and get his money back. Or their money back, I should say. Thank you. Because it was a used boat. Yeah, he doesn't know anything about this at all. In fact, as far as the compression of time, the best we could assume is this is the next day. It could just as well be the same goddamn day. Like, as soon as he got that check, he ran out and bought a boat. It, it's a rash decision. And there will be no consequences of Not the negative variety. Not at all. For Except maybe getting pushed into the water. Well, you're jumping the gun a little <laughs> bit. At the time, though, the boat engine explodes. Basically, as he's showing off his new purchase uh, to his daddies, Court instead has a lemon on his hand. And this is right in sight of some other competitors who start ribbing our, our boys. What have we got here, boys? A good fire and I didn't bring any weenies. <laughs> it's a whole bully situation. From the team, the Terminator. What? Yeah, that's the name of their team. The opposite team is the Ter- the Terminators? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't even see it. Because it was a quite cute guy, I have to say. He's okay. I liked him. I, I don't... I kind of like a shitty attitude <laughs> sometimes. But it doesn't matter at all because we have to go to our first commercial break. Get the power to move with the Acclaim wireless remote for your Nintendo Entertainment System. The Acclaim remote gets you mobile in a WrestleMania grudge match. Flying Airwolf. The Acclaim remote's rapid fire mode means higher scores permission. In the battle for Iron Sword, seconds count. So you need a controller with a look and feel you already know. Accurate up to 30 feet. The official wireless remote controller, licensed by Nintendo, created by Acclaim. Get the Acclaim remote, the power to move. What has unnatural red hair, extremely public PMS, and four hours to herself on MTV? Julie Brown. This Sunday, it's MTV's Just Say Julie Marathon. Eight incomparable episodes. Thank you very much. Watch her fly to New Jersey, blow up models, get the death sentence, and so much more. The Just Say Julie Marathon, beginning at 1.30, 12.30 Central. This Sunday on MTV. Four hours with Julie, it'll feel like a lifetime. A smoking engine probably needs some repair, so we head to the mechanic who gives us some unsurprising news that any sort of fix necessary to this ridiculous boat that Court has bought will be expensive and ultimately futile. Take weeks. Right. It's going to take a long time, and no matter what he does, it'll probably fall apart. But don't worry. There is a magical patch that can get him through for the next couple days. Well, I could replace a head gasket, a few burned-out wires, but just a patch-up job. You'd have to take it real easy. I'm going to be in this race. I'll figure something out. This race that we still really don't know the shape of. We know that it has something to do with skiing. Water skiing. That's and, it. And we don't even know if Court has ever water skied before. <laughs> exactly. It's. I guess it's just assumed that you are at Baywatch, you're good at all water sports. <laughs> I don't know. Meanwhile, Shawnee is busy at Baywatch headquarters. She is answering phone calls from a desk, which is the sort of lifeguard job I wouldn't mind having. Mm-mm. Just sitting there, watch all the empo- or, uh, co-workers walk by in their... Hot red shorts. Oh, yeah. They have numerous uh, binoculars available as well as <laughs> telescopes and I assume cameras on hand. And the locker room. Co-ed. I'll take a shower. <laughs> but Shawnee's day is about to be interrupted because Captain Don Buster. I thought you had a tower assignment today. What are you doing at a desk, young lady? You're supposed to be out on the beach. Surprise. 
some of that hype knows everyone's schedule. Captain Don stays very informed, <laughs> which is interesting because, as we know, he's looking for other jobs. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe he's also, maybe he's just jealous. He's like, wait a minute, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I have to do what I have to do. No. But he is worried about her. I would be too. That, that unibrow is intense <laughs> in this scene. Again, I don't want to be mean. We don't want to be mean. We love her. Mm. We, we talk about it. Erica Laniac is gorgeous. She's so beautiful. There's like a, honestly, there's like an angelic sort of look to her. She's because her fair features and her, and her hair and eyes and everything. But the unibrow, it's basically someone took a very large Sharpie and wrote an M on her head. I wonder if it wasn't as noticeable back in like those low def TVs. Uh, uh, definitely not. I mean, <laughs> definitely it was harder to see details. But also, like I talked about before, when we've referenced her grooming habits or whatever, the whole unibrow thing is more recent than we even think it is. But I think this is where we also, if you didn't watch the previous episode, we find out what happened. Yes, we are keyed into the trauma that Shawnee is going through. Shawnee, you're not the first lifeguard to lose a friend. I know you and Jill were very close. And you were there when it all happened. See, nobody could possibly expect you not to be affected. And apparently only Shawnee, because uh, no one else at Baywatch headquarters seems to really care that much. That's a good point. We see Mitch, Craig, Court, Eddie. They, they completely moved past it. Captain Don doesn't seem that upset either. And what has happened, Denny? Jill was attacked by shark during a rescue. Exactly. And she lost her life. Yes. The first Baywatch lifeguard to lose their life in the series. Because as we talked about, even just last episode, Lieutenant Ben, Richard Jekyll. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, he, yes. he played a, another guy. I believe his name was Al. In the pilot. Yes, and he okay. died. Well, Jill's the first lifeguard to die. Okay. Anyway, yeah, she's been killed. And Shawnee is very upset. Of course she, she is. I mean, in fact, as we've said and intimated, these other people should be upset. They should probably be a little affected that at least a coworker was killed by a shark. Also, I think Shawnee actually witnessed it too. Uh, I don't, maybe like no one else was around, but yeah, Shawnee was there when it happened. Yes, and so the visions that she's been having when she's panicking at the water are remembering what happened, that she was there, they were together, Jill was rescuing a child, and the shark got the best of her. But Shawnee says that she's fine, she doesn't have any issues. Which, of course, she's deflecting. Mm -hmm. And what, what most people do, I don't have a problem right now, everything's fine. Captain Don knows better. He's been around the block, he's no spring chicken, and she's not that good a liar to begin <laughs> with. Anybody that went through a trauma like that is obviously going to have a hard time, particularly getting right back in the water. He knows that it's going to take some time, but she continues to fight. And then we get a, another montage. Our second and our another full denim outfit from Shawnee. <laughs> The 90s were really good for denim. Rife with denim. Yes, this time though, she's walking alone, not in downtown, but the beach. And she's remembering her departed friend, Jill. Our friend, Jill. I like Jill. A little bland compared to some of the later characters, but she was... I only remember her from the pilot when she was like actually a hard ass on Shawnee for her uh, outfit choices. <laughs> we also saw Jill in Shelter Me. Remember when yes. that oh, gross criminal yes, was yes, not yes. leaving her alone? Yeah, yeah. He, she, he wanted her, uh, him some Jill. Oh, I'm sorry if I scared you. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, now, well, so did the shark. He <laughs> oh, actually, and he actually got too what he soon. wanted. Yeah, too soon. Exactly. <laughs> it just happened. I'm a, I'm a terrible person. And plus, this montage gives us more of the scary footage of the attack and this not so scary stock footage of the <laughs> shark. Stock footage. Yeah, because we've actually there's been an episode before where they showed a shark. They used the same stock footage <laughs> as the shark as he's jumping out of the water. It's a good shot. Whatever. Uh, the music though is basically right out of. George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. It is this heavy synthesizer. It is intense horror, and Shawnee is feeling it. Just as much as we're seeing it, she is going through these emotions, and she's stuck repeating it over and over again. But enough trauma. Back to the goofy fun of our threesome in waiting. Mitch, Craig, and Court, <laughs> they're hard at work trying to cobble the boat together into some sort of working order. A court knows some such, and honestly, they all look goofy messing around here. <laughs> all these scenes are really short. Like, it's very... Sh- choppy. Choppy. Yeah, it goes from one thing to another. And again, as our biggest, my biggest complaint in any of these episodes, there's no cohesion between these two stories. The pain that Shawnee is feeling has absolutely no connection to the fun that the boys <laughs> are having. But that's okay, because I guess you need a break at times. And Mitch and Craig finally press court. Why do you need this money? What is so important that you have to get this boat together? We have to do this. And he doesn't answer. Nope. I told you guys, it's personal personal it was personal until you spent our money and made us partners we're not letting you out of our sight till this race is over uh, it's gonna be a mystery for a couple more minutes <laughs> yep and they just demonstrate how little they know about engines and again it gives more credence to my theory that this is just a queenie couple that's like <laughs> oh we can help i may not know my flowers but i know a bench when i see one. Oh. Now, we're a full year, like I said, before the last episode we recorded. This is early on in Shawnee and Eddie's relationship, but they're apparently already living together. And So I guess he's moved out of uh, Lawyer Lifeguard's flat. Wouldn't you? Again, nightmare design uh, no, in the house. daddy. <laughs> well, you had to deal with his wife. That's true. So, But then again, she eventually's out. So you could have just waited that long, <laughs> but you know, things aren't all that perfect at the home of Shawnee and Eddie either, though. Shawnee doesn't like her dysfunction being brought up. What is that supposed to mean? Eddie knows that she's going through something and wants to talk about it. She shuts it down. First, I have to add, though, this must be January because it must be cold in that house because her nipples are on full display. Good catch. This is one of those times I missed the headlights. Oh, my God. Well, yes, as we see, this is shitty weather all around Southern California, (laughs) at least this particular episode. Eddie keeps pressing. He is not going to give up, but eventually does because he doesn't want to hurt his partner. And he wants to get some tonight. Exactly. (laughs) Those nips are turning him on. Yeah, your nipple's showing. Whatever it takes that I don't have to talk about my problems. Now it's a battle of the bros at the marina where Mitch and Craig, they're wearing matching windbreakers. (laughs) The couple. They look like every couple in South Florida. They really do it. And there's the early episode the swimmer where it ends with Mitch holding the little dog as he stares off with all of his friends and couples. It's I'm putting together there's something here. But uh, Court is in short shorts 
and a tucked-in tank top. So he really does look like a bot boy at this <laughs> point. Now, one of the randos that laughed at their exploding boat earlier, he's back, busting balls even more. He is officially a bully. Think you're making out of the marina this time? And like As you said, he's from the Terminators, and he's very much a stock character, cliche, but I found him studly. Again, I kind of like that shitty <laughs> attitude. Then we get a, another uh, montage. Okay, let's test this baby out. Yeah, yep. This time, we finally do see the court can ski. And Mitch and Craig, they're piloting the boat, of course. The team <laughs> stays together, they stay close. And we they're testing out the new fixes on the boat. And quite frankly, it looks like they did a fine job. Boat's running just great. Now, at this point, the other skier shows up, the bully from before. They're now skiing side by side, as you do, I guess. It seems very dangerous. Uh, in, in a number of ways. You gotta have a rival. It's true, you have to have something pushing you forward. But Mitch knows better, and he tries to pull back. And it leads Court to wipe out from the other boat's wake, making him really look kind of like a dork. But what's interesting is, so they go back around, and they just find his life jacket. Yeah, he, this is, okay. Again, Court is a very healthy-looking man. He's in very good shape. He's a trained lifeguard. He owns a dive shop. All he's doing is water skiing. And yeah, you, you, all we saw is he falls off. And no, he is vanished. But how does the lifeguard or the life jacket come off of him? Okay. It's not a very good life jacket. Or he didn't secure it properly. That could have been a perfect lesson. Court, you didn't <laughs> affix it properly. But no, instead, we get a pretty boring rescue. Craig jumps in, pretty much just pulls him out. And we conspicuously get no mouth-to-mouth. Ugh. Which gives more credence to your theory that there is no man-on-man action on this whole series, which I'm really falling more and more into. And we are going to join Court, though, in the Blackie Void in our second commercial break. Hot man, think this is hot. Once was so hot, this never stretch saved my life. Didn't see I was cruising with Wayne after the radical haircut. It was so hot, the trees were on fire. Dogs were taking their coats off. Whole buildings were wilting. The steering wheels like melting on my hands. So we pull in this Chinese, Japanese, Mexican place and ask for the most ginormous Pepsi. Takes four waitresses just to carry it, only they slip. And there's this humongous Pepsi wave. Wow, it's just like surfing now where you're kissing a Hollywood starlet. The most excellent Pepsi ever, and I swear, every word is true. <laughs> Now you don't have to wait for entertainment tonight. You can watch Showbiz Today on CNN. Hello from Hollywood, I'm Bella Shaw. The freshest faces, the newest movies, the hottest music, plus up-to-the-minute gossip from behind the scenes of your TV favorites. All the things you'll love on Showbiz Today on CNN, only on cable. The Court has apparently taken quite the beating uh, on this little jaunt. It turns out that he's cracked a couple ribs. And while he'll be okay, there's no way he'll be able to ski anytime soon. Now, did you happen to recognize or notice this doctor at all, Denny? I did not. This is Dr. Olson. Now, he only appears in one episode of Baywatch, so that's inconsequential. But he's played by a man named Bo Billingsley. Right. Who is that? You might not recognize his face. You might not recognize his name. But I recognized his voice. Betrayal may come easily to women, but men live by iron codes of honor. You believe that? I'm trying to, real hard. Right away, he is actually a very well-known voice actor who has done video games and anime over the years. Mm. I asked you earlier this week, but you didn't respond. Did you watch Outlaw Star? Yes. He was the narrator of Outlaw Star. Okay. But his biggest role, at least 
he was the voice of Jet Black in Cowboy Bebop. Okay, nice. Yeah, he's Jet. So I was probably too distracted by uh, Court side boob in the yes. scene. And this will be our stud watch. Hey you, hey Unfortunately, you, it was slim pickings this week, so we gotta give it our consolation stud watch to Court's side boob. Yes, this is one of those episodes that the extras are few and far between, but as we've said over and over, the weather is bad. Mm. So it's not like that many people are wanting to run around skimpily <laughs> attired. And Court does look very good in this scene. He's got cracked ribs, so what do you do? You wrap up the midsection <laughs> with gauze. That's certainly gonna help. Now, Court's living a great life because even though he's hurt, he's got his men waiting for him in the waiting room. Mitch and Craig are there, but Eddie too. <laughs> Uh, and there is actually a plus side because Craig actually has water skied before, we find out. How fortuitous. Yes, now he's out of practice, of course, and he's a little bit older than Court, and he this isn't his bullshit to begin with, but... If he wants his money back... He's now wrapped up in it. At Baywatch headquarters, though, this sometime has passed, and Mitch is trying to convince Garner to soup up their boat because apparently Garner has mechanical skills? He knows engines, apparently. I wonder if this will ever come up again. I hope so. This is certainly something we need to add to his special abilities uh, <laughs> column, but I don't think that any consistency will be there. We certainly haven't seen him have any mechanical acumen before, but I guess it hasn't come up before. Garner himself is a little bit questioning because he admits that, yeah, he might know something about engines. He doesn't know anything about boats. Look, I'll tell you the same thing I told my boys down at the station. I don't know anything about boats. I don't want to know anything about boats. Now leave me alone. I get the impression that Garner doesn't trust Court that much. That he doesn't want to be wrapped up in anything that he's related to. Yeah, he did not want to get involved at all. No, I think, again, that, one, he's a cop, so he's trained to smell bullshit, but also I just think he's got more street smarts than the likes of Mitch and Craig. Or at least he's not attracted to Court like they are. <laughs> But this leads to our next montage. Our next very, very short montage. The bro squad souping up the boat. Exactly. Garner relents. Okay, cool. I guess I'll fix your boat. And they mess around with tools and parts of an engine. I'm really gay because I'm very disappointed they didn't do like a grease style montage. That would have been so cute. They definitely should have had a Grease Lightning mm -hmm. fantasy sequence where they're all in outfits in a white... I know, it's disappointing. Better show, Denny. Better show. <laughs> what else this montage has, though, is a whole bunch of random people skiing, water skiing, in different ways. On two feet, on one feet, on your knees. Who cares? Let's tell a personal story right now. I'm sh nobody's listening to this that lets me know, so I can, I'm just screaming into the void. I had a pot dealer one time that was a very nice guy, but anyone that ever used to buy pot illegally, dealing with dealers is an interesting experience. You have to have a relationship with them because they're doing something for you that isn't exactly kosher, meaning that you're going to put up with things that you wouldn't necessarily <laughs> from other people in social situations. So this guy was great, but he talked about the things he loved endlessly. It didn't matter if you were listening or not, because he was still going to talk. <laughs> I could at least relate in that fashion. And he loved water skiing. <laughs> loved water skiing to the point that he would go on and on and on about technique and about what ropes to use and what particular position that you need your knees in when you're on this ski or that ski. So my eyes were starting to roll quickly into the back of my head. 
Do you ever see Pineapple Express? I have seen Pineapple Express. I kind of get the vibe when, you know, Seth Rogen just wants to buy pot and, uh, what's his face? Um, James Franco. James Franco just wants to talk his ear off and hang out and just like, that's yes. what I'm getting. Yeah. Any of those scenes, Half-Baked has a few scenes where they try to go so hot and end up trapped with strange people. <laughs> uh, God bless medical marijuana. <laughs> It's something, though, that our trio of boys don't need because, apparently, whatever Garner did was a success and they're now celebrating with beers. Well, again, I said trio. Garner's left. And Eddie, too. Yeah, you're right. Eddie was not really involved in the repair, though. He was sort of just hanging there. out. Yeah, I think that, again... He's just like, can I be in another scene? <laughs> yeah, he wanted... What we'll find out later about Billy Warlock is, yeah, he wanted to actually act and be in this show. And, well, there's only so much you can do with this many people, especially when you have Mitch and Craig gunning for court this hard. They got to get the extra chaff out of the way. But before things can get too fun, before things can get too loose... Gwen arrives. Gwen. This is when we finally learn her name. It's the woman from earlier. She's in a better outfit with better hair. It's like she got a mini makeover <laughs> between scenes. And we realize that she's been hunting Court down. She was looking for him at the boatyard and she found out, well, that wasn't his yacht. And now he's hanging out with these two normal looking guys dressed very blue collar at some sort of uh, repair setup. They introduce themselves as Court's co-workers, and she's like... In uh, real estate or at the record company? Court's house of cards falls completely apart here because Mitch and Craig, while they're good friends to give you money, they have no chill at all. They ruin everything. They're like, what are you talking about, records? Technically, I mean, if I were them, I'd want to know, like, the full story, too, because Court was not forthcoming. Not at all, and I will... For those of you that don't know Denny, he is the type that would blow your shit up, <laughs> expectedly or otherwise. And it is busted. The lie is now open. For some reason, he's uh, Court has been maintaining a false identity as a rich guy for this woman, Gwen. And when she finds out, she gives a nice smack across the face. That beautiful face. How dare <laughs> she? Off at the beach, though, Eddie and his little butt are crammed <laughs> into a red wetsuit. And looking very nice. No, okay, it was red because I got hot. I got neon pink. I, I'm saying red, but you are right. It was not quite red. I was, I was putting a bunch of different factors into it. One, I actually watched this on my laptop instead of TV like I normally do. Two, it's standard definition. Three, there's some degradation. But uh, yeah, it was a, not a, not the cutest color. I, I just found it interesting, especially for this time period, that Shawnee was in like a more masculine color. And Eddie was in, like, this more feminine, like, it looked hot pink to me on my screen. You have to remember, the early 90s, neon was a big deal. Everybody was wearing neon. Femme, masculine, it didn't matter. My dad was, I don't think you could call feminine in, in <laughs> any way, and he was a bodybuilder at the time. Daddy Josh's daddy. <laughs> But the spaghetti-strapped tank tops that he would wear to the gym were often neon pink or neon orange or the brightest eye-searing yellow. So <laughs> it was just of the times. And you're right, Shawnee doesn't look as good in her purple wetsuit. And none of that matters, though. The water is incredibly rough, adding more weight to the fact that this is a crappy time of the year <laughs> to be out in the water. It doesn't look comfortable for anybody. And really, what are they really doing in the water? We, we don't really know. They're sort of just out there. They were exercising, right? 
yeah, I think that was the thing. But then, like, you know, I guess Eddie was also hinting that he wanted her to prove to him that she's okay going in the water. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'll prove I'll do a workout right now. I hate to break it to you, but I'm not afraid of the water. Which goes badly right away. She barely swims 50 feet to his right before she finds herself trapped in some of that nasty seaweed that I mentioned mm -hmm. before. It is everywhere. And I I haven't watched a good friend or coworker be killed by a shark, but I freak out anytime I feel that seaweed on my body. I hate it. It's, it's disgusting. disgusting. Oh, the smell alone. <laughs> but my God. I was just gonna say she yells for Eddie. Eddie, who helps her out of the water. And he's got quite the moose knuckle as he <laughs> Gets out of, I mean, it's cold water, but it's not affecting Eddie too much. I, I, I did not see the moose knuckle, but I was probably too distracted by the way he helped Shawnee out of the water. Eddie has a very hands-on technique. <laughs> I mean, they're practically out of the water at this point, but like she's having a, her panic attack, and he takes this opportunity to cop a feel. Not once on the one boob, on the other boob as well. Yeah, with the same hand, <laughs> and he sort of, he grabs them both at one time. So he's escorting her out of the water. They're both walking out of the foam, but she's standing just fine. <laughs> she's breathing just fine. Perhaps she's a little hyperventilating because she's panicking, but she doesn't seem to have any struggle standing. And yes, he is on that chest. <laughs> but they are dating. Yeah, so. I mean, I guess he's allowed. I guess, and they're dating in real life too at this point, aren't they? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So... She doesn't seem that bothered. She's, she's in her own little panic attack. She can't focus on anything, so... Maybe he's trying to get her out of it, too. <laughs> like, honk, honk. You know, hi, welcome back. But he apologizes because he realizes this was a huge mistake. It, it is too soon for her to be back in the water. She hasn't confronted any of these issues. And he... The last thing he wanted to do was to put her in a place of, like this. But I also think she kind of needed to realize it herself at the same time. Yeah, a little but bit. But you don't want to see your partner freak out. No, of course not. And Eddie Eddie can be a hard ass, absolutely, but he's he's a compassionate person. And now we get major whiplash because Gwen, after just slapping Court in the last scene, is now caressing his cheek, apologizing. What is this? A minute ago, you were going to kill the guy. You've seen that face. You've seen that body. <laughs> You've seen him as Court. You've seen him as Hunk. My name is Hunk Dolan. Wouldn't you be a little upset with yourself after you hit him? My what's in the back but not in the face. More on the <laughs> ass. Yeah. I don't know. Depends on what he's into. That's true. Whatever you want, Court. <laughs> it turns out this whole situation, it is as pleasant as it could be. There's nothing nefarious, and really there's no reason that Court has been lying all these years. It's very uneventful. Lame. I came up with a way more interesting scenario Let's, in my head. We'll talk about that with rewrites at the end. <laughs> it turns out, yes, that Court had not the greatest upbringing, but there was an older man in his life, Uncle Stan. Mr. Cooper? Yeah. Yeah, you guys never knew him, but uh, he raised me. He didn't do a, a very bang-up job of it. We, we never got along. Uh, we fought like cats and dogs, and I, I finally left. A few years ago, I got, I got word that, um, well, he was starting to lose it. I, I couldn't afford to put him in, in, a, in a fancy place, and I didn't want to stick him in some state-run warehouse. So I, I found this little convalescent home run by this, this very nice charity. And this $5,000 a year court has been giving as a cash infusion, and they have come to rely upon that. Though, to be honest, $5,000 for a whole retirement home isn't going to go that far. Yeah. 
I don't know what kind of funding they were getting, but I mean, once we get to Uncle Stan later, we'll see. It's not that great a place, like, and it's more reasons to worry about becoming elderly. But that's why he's raising the money. That's why he needs the money because he cares and he wants to help. We never learn, though, ever, why he lied to Gwen, what his relationship is to Gwen, any of that. It's just completely Plot device. Yeah, it's unremarked upon. Even <laughs> it's, after she, apparently all it took is one slap and. All of Gwen's bad feelings are gone, and now we can just move on. I mean, he is really good looking, though. Yes, he is. Maybe Court never brought it up because he has perhaps a fear of old people. Getting older? Peter Pan syndrome? That. But I've also met people that, honestly, they get very uncomfortable around elderly people, even if they love them, even if they have a close relationship. Or, yeah, maybe it is that he doesn't want to think about his gorgeous face turning into a... One of the things he did mention, I guess, Uncle Stan was kind of a prick too. They probably, even though he appreciated the things Stan did for him, he was also probably, it was probably mixed feelings. Yeah. Like any relationship, it was probably complicated with Mm -hmm. layers. Even for Baywatch. (laughs) Mitch is there, and you know with Mitch, anything can be done. He encourages Court that, no, you should get yourself out there. You should be involved more actively. And Court makes his way to Uncle Stan's bedroom. The dark sad, depressing bedroom that Uncle Stan is in. But it's okay. We don't get to see it very long because he just holds his hand and that's all we ever see or hear about Uncle Stan ever again. Uncle Stan doesn't even open his eyes. I mean, he's an older man, but he's not exactly the elderly person I was expecting. He's bald. Eyes shut and Court, yes, grabs his hand, holds it for a while, and we fade to commercial. Plus cold medicine. When you gotta keep going, you gotta go with Alka Seltzer Plus. Because you like Sundays to be all downhill. It's the right beer now. If you're the type who will go to the mat for a good time, it's the right beer now. Because out here, not everything hibernates for the winter. So reach for the silver bullet, the one that won't slow you down. Cars Light. Yeah, it's the right beer now. The sun is setting on a quiet beach as Shawnee is clearing out her locker. I thought it was rising. I thought this was dawn. Who knows at Baywatch? <laughs> the sun is up, it's down, who knows? But at least it looks like better weather than most of the rest of the episode. And Shawnee's got a surprising amount of sweaters at work in her locker. But whatever, it's it's, it's not denim. She keeps all that at home. <laughs> now Garner happens across her. He's there in civilian clothes. He's wearing some interesting acid-washed jeans. Pleated, of course. <laughs> and here we get some shocking news. Shawnee is going to quit Baywatch. She's leaving. She's had too much. Which, I mean, let's be honest. In your job, no one's going to get attacked by a shark. In my job, no one's going to get attacked by a shark. But if something within my work position happened and someone was killed, it would be very, very difficult to go back there. Yes, I agree. 
And especially if your main job is confronting those sorts of situations, those dangerous situations, if unless you deal with it, it's going to be hard to move on. And that's Garner's message, kind of. He He's a cop. He's had to see all manner of crazy things. And he actually shares with us a personal story. Well, shares with Shawnee a personal story. I lost my partner about 10 years ago. Routine traffic stop, middle of the day. Went up to the car, guy came running down the street, pulled the gun, bam. Next thing I know, my partner's dead. Guy came out of nowhere. He was loaded, thought we were after him. We were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Simple as that. Everywhere I went after that, I thought somebody was going to kill me. Finally had to get off the street, just couldn't take it anymore. Kept thinking about my partner. The same way you keep thinking about Jill. And he let her know that, like, it took him time at the desk to, you know, get over it. Like, you know, it's it's not going to be an automatic fix. And I think it's exactly what Shawnee needed to hear. Everyone else has sort of been applying pressure, saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. And Garner's message is the opposite. You don't need to do anything except, except that it's going to take time. Well, in defense, Captain Dawn was giving her, I think, what she needed. More desk work to let her just get away from that part of the, the job. Understandable. And Captain Don was in a very different position than Garner finds himself. He's approaching her as a friend. Captain Don was more there as a boss. Garner has the opportunity to be more compassionate. And we've seen him be that. He's got a huge heart. He really cares, or at least seems to care about these goofballs. And he doesn't want to see anybody hurt. Just remember, whatever you finally decide, you have not failed here. You have made a difference. And again, as, we, as, as he tells us, he's gone through the same situation. He's lost somebody important to him in the line of duty, but that duty is important and important to him, so he kept striving. And that Shawnee could do the same. Now, we don't know, though, if it's worked, if Garner's good words have changed her mind about leaving, but we do know at least that she's feeling some kind of relief. Mm. She hugs him as a thank you. Which is nice. We don't get to see Garner get much of anything. No, he, the only time we saw was with that uh, bitch lifeguard that was just overly critical of him. And calling him fat. <laughs> and, and Mitch busting his balls all the time. And then getting shot. You yeah, know. Poor, poor Garner. <laughs> he almost has it as bad as Stephanie. <laughs> Shoot, man, you couldn't pay me enough. <laughs> now we're off at the ski race with scores of people. Southern California loves races. <laughs> and people will turn out if you're in the water and you are racing. And it turns out that this is really a montage in disguise. Well, I, I, will, I want to start by saying this race is not a short one. It, like, they go from, like, one city to another, like, on, along the coast. It seems like a marathon. Yeah. Which I, they could have emphasized at any point because it goes on and on and on. With no excitement. There's, there's, it's not like there's obstacles or we're looking at anything cool or we're even seeing hot people ski. No. Everyone's covered up. You know, they're in these wetsuits. Mitch and uh, Craig, the couple, are in their matching windbreakers again. Actually, no, it's Mitch and Court this time. Yes. Because Craig is skiing for them. Yeah, because Court has, of course, hurt himself, so he can't <laughs> do anything but look pretty. And, uh, you know, I don't care about this boat race. You don't care about this boat race. Well, it shows the race, and it goes on for a while, and then it just stops. I thought the race was over. We don't even know who wins. 
That's only the halfway, apparently. The show doesn't even care about the race. <laughs> Instead, we're back to Shawnee, which is the meatier part of the episode anyway, and I want to see what she's going through. She's off-duty, and she's really trying to find Numi, because probably to say goodbye. She's in civilian attire, and she's in Numi's tower and looking at photos that he has posted up. Okay, I'm confused, because I thought this was Eddie's tower, because it's all the pictures are of him and Shawnee. Maybe it was Eddie's tower, but she was looking for Numi. I, I thought that she was looking for Eddie to say that she was leaving. They live together, though. Why would she need but to Because she probably hasn't told him yet that she was going to quit Baywatch. Mm, that's very possible. We have a point of confusion. We this do. is the biggest point of confusion so far. I, as we're talking, let's put it together. Let's fix it. Okay. So it's Eddie and Numi's shared tower. What they do is they, they have half shifts, because we've seen this before. In last episode, Numi came up and picked up the shift for Shawnee halfway through the day. Well, let me add my two cents. Please. When we do see Numi, he's running from really far away. I think he's coming from another tower. I think that Numi was patrolling the beach. It's a possibility. And he came upon what is about to happen. And what happens? As we said, Shawnee is there in civilian attire. She's, she, at least in her mind, she's quit Baywatch. She's there to find some attractive man to say <laughs> goodbye to in some sort of fashion. And she is lamenting. She's, she's sad, but she also clearly has a positive attitude. She's looking at these photos of past memories with happiness. You know, there isn't a whole bunch of uh, trauma involved with that. You know, there's not darkness like, oh, okay. But from outside the tower, we hear that familiar sound. The help, help. <laughs> exactly. It's a mom screaming for help. Please, help. Her child, fully clothed, has somehow find, found themselves out in the water in distress. How did this happen? We never in their, find In their clothes. We never find out at all. We, ne we don't have any clue. I'm going to guess, let's, let's say that they were there on, they were there after church and they decided <laughs> to go out. The kid fell off the pier. Okay. Because we do see the pier in the distance. That's the only thing that makes sense how she ended up where she was. That, that, was, still, that was still a long way to drown. <laughs> the mom had been screaming help for a long time. <laughs> Shawnee jumps right in. Well, not right in. She does give pause. We get, we get a close-up of her and we can see the anguish. But it is very brief. Very brief because... Something is way more important. She is the only one around. She's the only one that can help this kid. So she jumps into action. Trauma or no, yes, she pushes past and jumps right into that cold-ass water after that kid. Luckily, Numi runs up, as we said, right behind her. This is really the only Numi we get yes. to see of this episode. But along with Numi, a truck shows up with Eddie. Who the hell knows whose tower it is? <laughs> Everybody's here. There's also another rando lifeguard with Eddie. We barely see him, though. Unfortunately. Now, meanwhile, Numi helps Shawnee carry the little girl to shore, and with one mouthful of air from him... Way to go, Numi. She sputters back to life. <laughs> I would at least pretend I needed a little more attention than one puff. But as we've said, she's fully clothed. We never get an explanation for where, where or how she came from. We don't see anything else. None of that matters. Shawnee walks away, pretty much, to Eddie. And Eddie here points out, One minute you're trying to stay away from the beach, and the next you're working somebody else's tower. It's good work. That she's more than capable of doing her job, that she is able to do it, that it might take time, but you haven't lost who you are. And she is. She's, she's able to accept that, that she probably will be scared forever, but she's stronger than her fear. And she's not going to quit now. We are still going to have Shawnee around, and that eyebrow. <laughs> 
We also, though, still have the race, which has been going on this entire time. And we are at the halfway point. And at this point, Craig is in the lead. Somehow. They have the shittiest boat. They've had no training. They found out about this two days ago. But they are winning. I guess the patch is holding strong. No smoke. No anything. Yeah. No indication whatsoever that this isn't a great boat. However, the Terminators do catch up. Yes, the bullies from before. Uh, the only other racers we get to actually see of any kind. They're right behind them. And they seem like, you know, kind of neck and neck for a while, but something's approaching in the distance. It's a net. You okay? I'm caught in net! Come cut me loose! A random net left in the waters, which, by the way, fishermen, <laughs> take care of your goddamn nets. And this trips up Craig. He goes into the net and he falls down. Not only him, though. The Terminator's uh, skier also gets caught in the same net. Yes, hoisted on their own petard. They were making fun, and then they end up in the same strange trap, <laughs> and now they're screwed. So both boats have to circle back around. Mitch and, I guess, one of the guys from the Terminator crew jumped in the water to cut the net, because I guess they're both tangled in it. Well, it makes sense, too, because if they're, they're wearing skis, that shit's going to get caught in there, and then they're also their line. Uh, that's holding them on to the boat. I'm assuming that's a mess. This is the biggest problem I have with this episode. Please. Because they get cut out, they get back on track, and they somehow still manage to lead. It is inexplicable. They must have... Maybe it's only a two-boat race. That that many spectators No, are, it's not. No, it's not. We saw in the beginning, there was like, like at least two dozen boats. Not just that. While they're in distress, while they're sitting, floating, a boat flies by them. <laughs> and yet somehow they are still able to win. That Mitch magic is in full effect. He's piloting your boat. You're going to win. But yeah, so as soon as they get back up uh, and they're both back in the race, it's just those two boats neck and neck again. It, it, it really pays off to be the main character. So the Terminators get a little bit ahead. Craig and Mitch start to, I guess, pull Court. the line. Remember, Craig is the one water skiing. No, I know. Court. Craig is pulling his line. Oh, from the opposite from, from side. side right. While they're trying to shorten the rope. Exactly. So I guess the way this race works is the skier has to cross the finish line, not the boat. But just put the goddamn skier in the boat if we're going to have <laughs> like technicalities like this. So they're going and they get a little bit ahead and that's exactly what they need to win the race. Just enough to win the race, yes, and the prize money. The old folks home will get their donation. Will they get 12000 Because, you know, it's fifteen. Craig promised ten. He owes three to Mitch and Craig unless he puts out enough. And uh, is he going to pocket that extra two? I don't know. And we never find out. Because everything is hunky-dory at the end. They're celebrating. Everybody's in attendance now. Hobie One is there. He's super excited. He wants to keep the boat. Uh. Do we get to keep the boat, Dad? Nope, we don't get to keep the boat. Court, though, of course, he has different ideas. He's already signed them up for another race. Now, we don't know why. Maybe he's lied to another woman about being a rock star or an astronaut or something. We don't know. But we get the most sitcom-y thing that we have gotten so far in Baywatch. And it's very appropriate that it's happening in the first season while it's still on NBC. What do we get, Denny? Craig and Mitch push Court over the side of the boat. Leading to? The end credits. But he doesn't actually hit the water. We don't see that. No. You just see them like hit, he's kind of like leaning back, and that's it. We get a classic freeze frame ending of hilarity, and we can just imagine everyone laughing together. So and, lame. Oh, it's so cute. But it is court falling, it is Baywatch, and this is the end of our episode. Baywatch Season 1, Episode 20, The Big Race. 
Danny. What did you think of the big raise? I hated this episode. You hated it? I hated wow. it. Wow, okay. Tell me the things you hated. Basically, the whole race aspect of this episode. Like, I, it was not believable in the least bit. Uh, the only thing that worked in this episode was Shawnee's story. And, you know, it just had its perfect arc. You know, she had an issue, she was going to quit, she recovered, and back to normal. And, you know, it makes sense. You know, she had, she faced a tragedy, and that was a more compelling story. The race just did not make any sense to me. It was fluff. It was a lot of filler. And it was, again, this is one of our common complaints where, like, the good part is good. There's a lot with Shawnee. There's so much there. And it's acted very well. I really do think that Erica Laniac, she should have been a bigger star because she's good. They, they And they could have given her more to do than just stare off in the fucking <laughs> distance. And um, the court stuff, I mean, I, I will never turn down more court. Waiting for something from Mark Golden? Well, here it is ever well i say that we'll find out things later season but he at least looks good but it's so boring and it was just unbelievable like every aspect of it like the fact that he made the stupid lie which comes to nothing craig and uh mitch gave him money and were at first pissed that you know he used it for this stupid scheme and they i would have demanded my money back if that's what you're gonna fucking do i would have certainly not been so pleasant yeah he, I was, he was talking about selling his shop i would have made him sell the shop and give me my money back or at least give me shares, for Christ's sake. Yeah. yeah. The fact that, you know, the boat was a lemon and it somehow managed to pull all the way through the race. The fact that none of them have done this before and they won a whole race. It was basically like a Herbie the Love Bug type thing. Like the tropiest, most cliche kind of story. Like, And we've seen a lot of garbage, but that bit was just not great. And, and last but not least, you know, the fact that both of the lead in the race fell were out of the race for quite a while so because they had to be cut out of the net and still managed to not lose the lead. It was so dramatically unsatisfying. There, <laughs> there was nothing within the court storyline to hold on to because even the tiny bit, oh, oh, court has a dark background. And he's got this, he, he doesn't even talk to his Uncle Stan. He doesn't even, like, Uncle Stan might as well be dead. He might as well be a corpse laying in that bed. It, none of it matters. Can I scratch myself now? When? Who the hell is this Gwen? We don't even know who she is or where she's... We don't know anything except that she's somehow tied into this retirement home and court. And we don't know why he lies. We don't know the extent of his lies. We don't know anything. So what I feel like could have made this episode better... Yes, let's get to our rewrite. The, the way I originally thought this was going to play out... Okay. Court, his whole background is he is this rich trust fund baby. Okay. And back in the day, he, you know, was just flaunting his money. He met this beautiful woman. And so he just, he, she had this cause. So he donated money to like get in her good graces. Mm -hmm. At some point, his parents cut him off because he is just not doing anything with his life. Okay. His remaining money, he opens a store, he becomes a lifeguard, but he still wants to make it seem like he has money to impress this girl. Okay. I feel like that would have been a more interesting and that, would, and that would give an ongoing struggle. There's a conflict there with Court at all times. Mm -hmm. That he is, he seems like this blue-collar, easy-going guy, but he's actually this preppy blue blood. Mm -hmm. Ah, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. I like that. No notes on, on that particular <laughs> portion. I like that. That's that. That's that's better than I would have thought of. The, the What I would change there is I would emphasize the Mitch and Craig relationship <laughs> and make it, <laughs> of course. make it clearer that they're on the prowl 
And, you know... Well, what made it better was Gina, too, wasn't an episode. So we had no distraction from oh, the beard. Without Gina, too, she is tough to take. Uh, <laughs> she really is. And she really makes Craig a sour guy. When he's he, with Craig, I mean, when he's with Mitch... Yeah, he is. I just, I noticed that. He sings when he's with Mitch. <laughs> I mean, they really get along very well, very healthily, and they're happy to be in each other's presence. Whenever Craig is with his wife, he's pissed. See? Mm. So, so what, what I would do, I love that for court, and that would make that much more rich. And I would... I would crank up the pathos. Like, I would make it clear right away that this Uncle Stan... I was awoken by the sound of mockery. Where is it? Show me the object of ridicule. ...is a part of all of this. Mm. And that, you know... Because otherwise, you don't really have any... We're not rooting for court to win. It doesn't matter. The fact that Mitch and Craig could just hand him three grand without even knowing makes the stakes really low. And for some reason, they made the prize money be significantly higher than the money they needed for no apparent reason. Like, like it just, nothing mattered in, yeah. in, that, in that way. If he won, if he lost, it didn't matter. Bringing some background into it would help. Maybe Uncle Stan was the relative that helped him out after he was cut off, mm. who was never accepted in the family in the first place. See, we, we should have been writers. And now you know where babies come from. Hey, and let's get to the Shawnee stuff. I think it went really well. I would just give her, I would give Shawnee more dialogue, more opportunity to actually emote instead of just being shot. And I, also, I think also would have been better if she got to interact more with other lifeguards that were also processing Jill's death. If anybody else acknowledged it at all, except for just the reality. Oh, yep, they're dead. You know, like, no, if anyone else illustrated that they were struggling, mm -hmm. that they missed their friend or that they were just upset that a coworker had died. I mean, if someone within my company died, whether I knew them or not, I would be affected in some sort of way. And particularly if it was this sort of physical of a job where she was killed in the line of duty. She was killed doing her job. The kid, I'm going to guess, was rescued because this is Baywatch. Yeah. They aren't going to kill a kid and Jill. I, I think in not. one of the flashbacks, we see the she got the kid up on the boat mm. and she just didn't have enough time to get up herself when the shark got to her. Well, someday we will find out. Good rewrites. Good rewrites. I, uh, I didn't hate this episode. I have not hated any of the episodes yet. I will admit that I am colored on the court side just because he... Is Hunt Golden. Precisely. <laughs> uh, I, I, I admit my biases. Uh, they, they are large, but I do admit to them. And it was a shitty storyline. Everything that we've said is 100% true, but I will always give my hunk uh, the award <laughs> of any kind he wants and again i noticed that I, I again i keep coming back to mitch and craig being more interesting than they actually are i had to jump through those hoops in order to make it work for me the shiny stuff just like you said i was into and i wanted more i know they won't but i'm hoping that in subsequent episodes they still touch on it and they show her still struggling at least for two or three episodes i feel like this is it for jill we're not going to even hear about her ever again she might be mentioned, like, maybe the next time they kill a lifeguard, they're like, oh, we haven't lost somebody since so-and-so. Right. Or they'll do a montage of all the people they've lost, because we will lose more people. Jill is not the only one. I feel like we're going to see that shark again. <laughs> that stock footage. <laughs> that goddamn shark will rear its head, yes. <laughs> and maybe it will take more lives. I hope not. But, yes. Uh, I like that Garner was given more to do. I really like the actor whose name is Escaping. Ellerby. No, Garner Ellerby is his character's oh, that's right. name. Stupid. 
Gregory Allen Williams. I really like him, and I, I think that I'm going to start diving in a little bit to his other work. Like, I really want to watch some Baywatch Nights now, because <laughs> I know he's at least on the first season, and uh, he's charming. He mm. really is, and, and it's a reflection that, like, they could have done this character worse. And I hate to say that, considering that he gets so little, but he's a relatively main character on a show where he's the only minority. Everyone else is white as the driven snow, and he's a black guy, and I think he has a great showing, finally. The more and more I see of him, the more I like him as a character. Like, if anybody I would want to hang out with, it'd be Garner. Yeah, I don't think we get, like, another ethnic cast member until Hawaii, right? No, there's Tracy Bingham shows up. We have... Jose Solano is an mm. actor that shows up. He plays Manny. Okay. I, I was way into Manny. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we get a couple people, but to be completely blunt, as far as main characters go, Garner's ethnicity is the most pronounced, you know, just to be completely blank <laughs> about it. I mean, honestly, uh, Tracy Bingham is a gorgeous woman, but she also has mixed features. He is a black man uh, <laughs> in the traditional sense, I guess you would say. And they don't make him look like a fool. He does sometimes do some goofy stuff, but there's really so much heart to him all the time. Like in the last episode where he crashes four-wheeler. He did, but he got right back up. On those inexplicable uh, seaweed ramps. <laughs> it's a tough beach. It's a tough <laughs> beach out there. But uh, yeah, so the Shawnee stuff really pulled it out for me. I, I as, we, as we're talking, I mean, it's very clear that if anyone listens to us, we're obviously injecting a lot more to this to make it richer, to make, <laughs> it, make it more palatable. We got to make this soup a little less thin. But uh, it was it, that part was fun. The rest was, was a slog. But I will say it made it a lot easier to take notes uh, throughout. <laughs> the episode so lots of montages so yeah and short ones <laughs> short little brief ones and the music wasn't as bad as it can be eh, not the best it is an essential episode to watch though as far as baywatch goes because this is the after we didn't get to see jill's death yet we will someday and we'll we'll, we'll deal with that once we do but in order to understand the continuity like this is them dealing with Jill's death. And as you say, they probably never address it again. So this is our one opportunity to talk about it. So for my rating, yes, I'm going to give this episode four inappropriate boob grabs out of 10. All right. Now I need to specify, are those individual boobs? Like individual left, boobs. Right? Okay. So not like you get to grab both four times. It's one boob per grab. Yes. Okay. And Half of that rating is actual Shawnee's boobs. <laughs> <laughs> she looks great. She's a gorgeous woman. Yes. So that was Baywatch Season 1, Episode 20, The Big Race. Now we are going to pick our next episode, Denny. And how do we pick the next episode of Baywatch we'll be watching? The Magic Beach Bingo Ball Cage. Yes. Whatever the hell we're calling it. <laughs> I know how to do this. Nope. Oh, that's not working. <laughs> there we go. All right. We have season eight. We finally got our first season eight. Episode one. Oh, Danny. What? Oh, Danny. What is it? I have been waiting for this one. Ooh. It's one you know personally. Baywatch, season eight, episode one, Rookie Summer. Young, ambitious, and good-looking lifeguard candidates compete for a chance to attend rookie school. Mitch Ooh, is... candidates. Young, ambitious. Mitch is offered a promotion to captain and has a tough decision to make. And Lonnie faces the sinister return of a former lover. 
And in fact, we have yet to watch a season opener. So the good thing about this is that everything fresh for the season will be thrown right at us. So, and as you've said, this is our first season eight episode, which aired September 22nd, 1997. Mm. I was 16. I was 13? Well, whatever you were, hopefully you'll have some <laughs> memories and we will talk about that episode then. But for now, You've been listening to Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. I'm Josh. I'm Denny. Please visit our website, hotredshorts.com. We pay for it and no one uses it. <laughs> uh, or you can find us on any of the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is Hot Red Shorts. And you can listen to us on any podcasting app out there. If you have any thoughts at all, please feel free to share them. You'll find the trading cards that we make for every episode, including our perfunctory stud watch, one for this one at our website. And that's it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>